Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Let's pray. Oh, good Father, you have given us all that we need, all that we need to be able to know you and of ourselves. Lord, to be able to see your sovereign hand at work in, in our lives, to be able to see your promises. And we know that your word cannot be broken. Lord, there are many things that can be broken, our promises to one another, but your promises will never be broken. Your word will not be broken. We pray that we will cling to your unbroken word this very evening. Help us to do so with the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 45. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your household and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat of the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives. And bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods. For all the best of the land of Egypt is yours. And the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh. And gave them provisions for the journey. And Uh, To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as fellows, follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, provision for his father on the journey. And he sent his brothers away. And as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel. On the way. They went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, The spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. As you remember, Joseph had finally revealed himself to his brothers. Judah had given his heartfelt speech about his father and what was to come of his father if Benjamin was to remain. But now it was Joseph's turn to give his speech. Joseph explained in his speech that what God had said, what God had sent, who God had sent, and then how God had saved. Joseph had then provided a place for them. And also forgiven them. 
When Stephen tells of the story of Joseph, he explains it like this in Acts chapter 7. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him, and he rescued him out of all the afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and all of his household. Now there came a famine throughout all of Egypt and Canaan, a great affliction. And our fathers could could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And as we've seen God's hand of providence throughout all of Joseph's life. But all of these things are finally coming together. For the good of God's people, not just for Joseph. As we looked at last time in Genesis 45, verse 7 and 8. As Joseph explains to his brothers that God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. To keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And God has made me a father of Pharaoh the Lord of all his house and the ruler over all the land of Egypt. It is God's hand at work in Joseph's life to be able to preserve for him, for God's people, a remnant. It is Joseph who receives favor. And Moses shows and points this out. It is only Joseph why the Israelites are receiving favor when they live in Egypt. When they're living in this great situation as free men and women. Moses writes in Exodus chapter 1 verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. The God's provision not only comes from the kindness of Joseph, Jacob's son, and the sons of Jacob's brothers. But this provision comes through this king in a foreign country. It is a very bizarre situation. Let me put it this way. Hypothetically, if you were to fly to Australia, and then you were to mention my name, and my name was well known throughout all of Australia. It is not, but pretend hypothetically if it was. And then you were to be able to say, I know of this person. And you receive this favor because of your acquaintance with me. It would not be because of you you receive these royal treatments, but it would be because of me. Again, hypothetically. But here in this situation, it is Pharaoh who shows great kindness and favor to God's people because of Joseph that the leader of the country treats God's people with great honor and respect because of one person. It's not only God's providence we see in the book of Joseph, but also God's provision for God's people. And God provides through the means of a foreign pagan king. And I want you to keep that in mind as we study this passage tonight. Not only we see God's providence in the sin of his brothers, but we see God's provision 
through pagan rulers, powerful people that would not and do not worship God. The first thing that we see in tonight's passage is Pharaoh's joy of Joseph's family. See this right at the beginning in verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Prior to this, they heard the weeping and the wailing of Joseph. In verse 2, that even Pharaoh's house heard of Joseph's weeping. Now the news finally reaches back to Pharaoh that Joseph's family had come. I think you see the extent of Joseph and his work ethic in this situation and his character. He was not only the one who interpreted the dream of Pharaoh to Joseph, uh, from Pharaoh. Unlike all of Pharaoh's wise men that couldn't even interpret the dream, but he had also for many years, seven years of the good and plentiful and now two years, of the famine. He had done a tremendous job executing all of this in the time of plenty and in the time of famine. A glorious thing for a politician to be able to say, when everyone comes, you have a person like Joseph. See this previously, Genesis 41. When this famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. That because of this appointment Pharaoh has made, now all people from all over the world are coming to be able to receive grain from Egypt. There's a great trust here that Pharaoh has in Joseph. So much that he heard of Joseph's family coming, now he is overjoyed. And the reason he is only overjoyed is only because of one thing, because of Joseph himself. The second thing we see is there's two instructions. Verses 17 to 20. Pharaoh gives two instructions to Joseph. Now, these instructions are not very good words. Pharaoh is not merely just an elected official. Pharaoh, in the eyes of the Egyptians, is some form of God. Therefore, when he commands something to those that are around him, to an Egyptian, these commands are not just mild comments. One of our children will remain nameless. Used to be very polite when we would explain, it is time to put your toys up. They would turn around and, no thank you. No, I had to remind them at that point, it is not merely just a comment I am making. This is a command. And so too, when Pharaoh comes and says, do this, In verse 17 and 19, it's not merely just a mere comment, but a command from Pharaoh. An official commandment from the ruler of Egypt. What is this official commandment? A blessing to God's people. 
He tells them two things. The first is that they are to load their beasts. The instruction and command to his brothers. Load your beasts, go back to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households and come to me. And I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat of the fat of the land. And then second, his command is now to Joseph. That you are to take land, wagons from the land of Egypt, or your little ones and your wives, and bring them back to your, and your father and come God does not only just, through providence, make space for them to be able to come to Egypt, but he also pays the ticket for them to be able to come as well. Now, this is a phenomenal thing to be able to consider. That you have a king of a country inviting more people, specifically God's people, to come and live in their land. And he will pay for you to be able to come as well. Not only is he just allowing them to be able to come back, providing the ways, the means for them to be able to come back, but also providing in great abundance. In verse 20, have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Why would a ruler of a foreign country do this for such a small and insignificant nation? And even a nation isn't a good term. Family is probably a better term. You can point it back to God's promises. Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham, he said, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See here, a promise of Abraham God made to Abraham is now being fulfilled years later through Joseph and his family. The G- Egypt has been blessed by Abraham's offspring. But not only that, that Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's heart is like a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. That as Proverbs 21.1 says, that he turns it wherever he will. This is not the only time we see this in Scripture where the leader of a pagan foreign country has their hearts turned and changed. Read about it in the story of Nineveh and Jonah. When the king of Nineveh, he hears, he rises from his throne, removes his robe, covers himself with sackcloth and ashes, issues a proclamation published throughout all of Nineveh by the decree of the king And his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn turn from his evil way and from the violence of his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Not only he changes the heart of the king of Nineveh, but also the beginning of Ezra. You see Cyrus, the king of Persia, as he said, as Ezra writes, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all kingdoms of the earth. 
He has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is Judah. So you cannot be surprised even when Paul in Acts stands before Agrippa and tries to be able to share of the gospel that maybe God might change his heart too. But yet Agrippa turns and says to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me of being a Christian? Paul responds, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these change. So when we go to Lord in prayer, let us pray, as Paul writes to Timothy. Let us pray for kings and those in the high positions, that we may be able to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, which is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is just there is one God. There is one mediator between God and man, men. The man Jesus Christ. Who gave himself up as a ransom for all. Which is a testimony given at the proper time. We see here. God is able to not only through his providence. But also through his provision. To be able to provide for his people. Third thing that we see is God. Uh, the brother is sent with more provisions in verses 21 and 24. The sons of Israel. It is not the sons of Jacob, but the sons of Israel. They did what was commanded of them, that Joseph gave them wagons. Again, repeating to the command of Pharaoh. They had their provisions for their journey. They'd each given a change of clothes. But an interesting thing here. The Benjamin is given extra, 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. Now in comparison, Joseph was sold into slavery for 20 shekels of silver. And yet now Benjamin is sent off with far greater. Sent to his father, 10 donkeys with the good things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provisions for their journey. Again, we need to be reminded that this is all in this time of a famine. Where people are starving, and yet Pharaoh has all of these things. An abundance and plenty because of the work of Joseph's hands. But as he sends his brothers away, And as they departed, he gives them one word of warning. Do not quarrel on the way. Now the reason why he says this, we do not know. Maybe it is that just as Joseph was given a special change of clothes, a robe, now Benjamin has been shown favor. He reminds them, do not quarrel on the way. Maybe it's just more practical. If you've ever gone on a road trip with brothers or sisters, you understand that you might have some quarreling on the way. But the two other times that Moses actually uses this word, it actually speaks of trembling. In Exodus chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. 
You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, and they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. So as he goes, maybe a better translation would be, Do not be afraid. Again, God, through his providence, has brought you to this point. But also God, through his provision, will also provide for you along the way. Do not be afraid as you go. Then we finally see that Jacob receives the news in verses 25 to 28. Now we have no idea of the concept of time in this period. Have no idea how long the brothers have been gone. Again, the distance between Canaan and Egypt, depending on where you're starting and when you're going, is about 400 to 450 miles. Now this for us would be a large drive, six to seven hours. But you think about traveling along the way. Traveling with donkeys, all your support, setting up tents. It could take at least 16 days to do so. And this is only one way. So Joseph's sons have been gone for well over a month, if not longer. And all this time, Jacob is left there pondering and wondering. Are they going to return? Will they return with Benjamin or not? Think about just the period of time and the extension of hearing back from Joseph. And the last thing that Jacob said to them was, Take also your brother, in chapter 43, and arise and go to the man. This man whom they had said was a cruel and harsh man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And now finally they return. The prodigal father awaits his son. Now the prodigal father is awaiting his sons to return. And they return. Not just with a few months worth of food, but food, ample food, donkeys, carts, wagons, Extra clothes, extra money. And I am sure Jacob's heart leapt as he saw them coming down the lane to his house or his tent. As he counted along the way, there's 11 of them. There's even more donkeys. However, they uttered words which he was not expecting. Uttered words which would shake his whole life. And they told him, verse 26, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. It had been 22 years. 22 years of mourning and sorrow. 22 years since that morning where Jacob sent his young, young son Joseph off. Remember what he said in chapter 42, verse 38. My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey, 
that you are to make. You would bring my gray hairs to sorrow, with sorrow to shield. I'm sure he was preparing himself for that long month or more, for bad news to come. But instead, he hears that the son, which has been gone for 22 years, which he sent 22 years ago to check on his brothers to Shechem. And it was indeed a surprise. Moses tells us that his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. This word numb is cold, weary, translated feeble or paralyzed. Seems like he's having some form of heart attack. But then they fill him in of the whole story. That his spirit was indeed revived. I saw this quote from John Chrysostom in a commentary. I thought it was quite apt of this example. Just as the light of a lamp, when the supply of the oil runs out and the light is at the point of going out, suddenly emits a brighter flame and someone puts in a little oil. In just the same way, this old man, on the point of expiring from disappointment, next learned that Joseph was alive and was in charge of Egypt. From being old, Jacob became young. He put aside the cloud of disappointment. He repelled the storm in his mind, and then he found himself at peace. With God disposing everything so that the good man should enjoy relief from all of these awful trials and share in the happiness of his son. Through all of this provision and abundance of provision, Jacob is concerned about one thing, his son Joseph. He finishes and says in verse 28, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now you may wonder, maybe this is the way that God had through his providence to be able to get stubborn Jacob to be able to move from Canaan, to be able to go to Egypt. His time before when he went to Badam Aram was not a good time for him. And he thought maybe the travels. We do not know, but God knew that Jacob would be willing to go see Joseph. Now, there's a deliberate use of words here that happens in these chapters. It is that Jacob is often referred to as Israel, as we'll see in the next chapter, 46. Through this chapter, we see the hand of God in the works of providence and his works of provision for his people during this time of providence. Jacob would not understand at this point what God is doing. Joseph explained that there is five more years of famine to come. But God would continually provide for his people as he had always provided for his people. But also this is all a backstory, as I said at the beginning when we began looking at the story of Joseph. But it still needs to be repeated. 
Joseph's story is really the question of how Exodus starts. Exodus begins, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Then in verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. But Exodus is really a question How, through all of this, can God's providence work? How can God provide for His people? And even as they wander in the wilderness, how can God provide for His people? Or even for us today. How does God provide for our people, even in foreign lands? But He still does. Still provides all that we need through His works of providence. He provides for us, and He has provided for us the way to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give You thanks and praise that You have given us Your Scriptures to show us of Your hand of providence in the most unlikely of situations, that You are able to be able to provide for your people, although a small remnant on this earth, that you can use the most powerful of men who do not bow down and worship you to be able to provide for your people that they might be able to continue to worship you. Lord, we pray that we would be able to see your hand of providence and provision in our lives, that even in dire situations and circumstances, we see that you have provided all that we need through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.